If you would turn to Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, I'm making Sophie read it. She'll get over it. <laughs> Go ahead, honey. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as, a, as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at the distance to know what would be, be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, and his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew, Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give, him, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went, to, he went out to his people and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs of to water, water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughter, Daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called him Jershom. For, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a, a foreign land. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you would use your word to draw us closer to you. Use your word to teach us about who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in this way. And, and we just ask that you would speak tonight and somehow illuminate to us the scripture so that we may follow you more, so that we may worship you, so that we could glorify you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Honey, we can't hide him 
anymore. Three months of keeping him quiet, three months of protecting our baby boy, and no longer can we keep him here because he's getting too old and too loud. And the Pharaoh's decree has gone out, and we're in danger. We have to trust God. Somehow we have to place our baby boy into a wooden ark, just like Noah. We're going to have to put him in the water, in the Nile, and watch him float away. And we're going to have to trust that God is going to do what he said he would do. Because somehow we knew there was something special about this boy. And Miriam, we need you, his big sister, to, to follow that thing and make sure he's okay. Watch what God does and report back to us what happens. Because he can't be found by an Egyptian. Can you imagine this conversation between Moses' parents? I can't even conceive of being in that situation and having to be in such a desperate place that I would need to trust God with my children or with my child, with my baby boy in this particular way. I, I can't even imagine having to have that discussion. But this is the discussion that Moses' parents had with each other. If you weren't here last week, you heard of the faithfulness of the midwives, these women that were called upon by the Pharaoh to kill any son that was born to a Hebrew because Pharaoh began to realize that as this particular group of people was beginning to outnumber the Egyptians, that this group of people that were staying in the land of Egypt that had been there since the day of Joseph because of famine uh, had come um, and Joseph is long gone, and so now there's a Pharaoh who doesn't even know who Joseph is. Um, Joseph, the Hebrew, who rose to power in Egypt. The, this new Pharaoh has no concept of who Joseph is. He's from a different group of people that have now taken over Egypt. And he begins to recognize that, hey, these guys could be a danger to us. And if the Hebrews continue to multiply and continue to grow, there could come a day that they rise up against us and take us out of power. And so he decrees that all sons born to these Hebrews should be killed. And he, he enlists these midwives, as you heard about last week when Jordan spoke, to kill them when they're born. And these faithful women didn't do it. These faithful women didn't do it. So here's Moses who was born to his mother and his father and they keep him hidden for three months. They, they make the decision as a family to hide him for three months. And we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that the father and the mother were both involved in this decision and their faithfulness enabled them to do this. And after three months, while he's small, while they can control him, while he's not moving around as much and not quite as loud, he begins to get too old and too loud and too noisy, and there's no possible way to keep him hidden. And so they have to trust God, and they build an ark, and they put him in this basket that the word used to describe the, the wooden thing that they floated Moses in is the same word in Genesis 6 through 8 that talks about the ark that Noah built 
to save him and his family, to lead Noah and his family to a new place where they would take dominion and where they would lead and where a people would be redeemed and, and a people would be set apart and a people would begin to take dominion over the land again in Genesis. Here we see the Hebrew people in the land of Egypt, oppressed, enslaved, and here's baby Moses, again, placed in the same word, an ark. And the faithfulness of this family to trust God and to say, God, you're in control, and we don't understand. This is tragic. This is an emergency. This is out of desperation, and we don't understand why this is happening to us, but here's what we know, God. We know you know, and we're going to place him in this ark and trust you to protect Moses, and he does. Isn't this an amazing story? Here's Moses floating among the reeds, and here's Miriam. We learn her name in chapter 15, Moses' older sister, who is charged to keep guard over him and to watch, not just to kind of see what happens, but to actually protect and to keep guard over and to watch and to kind of see as, as Moses begins to float among the reeds in the Nile. And God's provision is born out of what would seem to be an emergency. Oh my goodness, there's an Egyptian. See, they didn't put Moses into the ark to have him be discovered. In fact, it was just the opposite. They put him into the small ark so that he wouldn't be discovered. If he was to be discovered by an Egyptian, it would be certain death. But God had another plan, didn't he? God knew that what in their minds would have been certain death for Moses actually became his perfect protection to preserve the deliverer for God's people. Here comes Pharaoh's daughter. And she notices, as you see in chapter 2, he's crying. And that could indicate to us why she notices this particular floating wooden device with a baby in it in the Nile. And she sends her servant to go get it. She doesn't want to walk through the reeds to get it herself, and she has servants. So why not? You go get it. Must be nice. <clears throat> so the servant goes and retrieves Moses for Pharaoh's daughter. And when she gets him back, I love the, the, the ingenuity. I love the, the, the bravery and the courage of Miriam, Moses' sister. She engages Pharaoh's daughter. And as she retrieves Moses and sees this, what she knows to be a Hebrew baby crying, she takes compassion on him. She has concern for him. And God knew what was in her heart. God led her. God is orchestrating in his sovereignty the redemption of his people from beginning to end. And we see a, a very specific picture of it right here as, as Moses floated to the right place and Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on him and said, what, I want to take this baby. And of course, there's Moses' older sister to, to have a suggestion. Hey, why don't we get a Hebrew woman to nurse him? And she says the words that guarantee and secure the protection of Moses. Go. That's all she has to say. The minute Pharaoh's daughter looks at Miriam, Moses' older sister, who was probably between the ages of 8 and 12, the minute she says to her, go, in response to her suggestion to get a Hebrew midwife to nurse Moses, his protection is secured. She's spoken, and he's going to live. And, and how brilliant is this? Miriam says, hey, I'll go get mom. 
And she can continue to raise and nurse Moses until he's done. How amazing God's plan. How amazing God's protection. How amazing God's uh, incredible attention to detail in reference to the deliverance of his people. I, uh, I love this story, and I think we'd be remiss to not take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And let's read that together. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The mother put him in this ark by faith. The father hid him. The mother and the father hid him by faith because they trusted God and they weren't afraid of Pharaoh's edict. This is a remarkable stance for these two people to take. And, and you see it in Hebrew is declared to be a, a position of faith, a position of trusting God. And, and you see this declared in the New Testament because it's really a remarkable moment. I mean, Pharaoh's all powerful. Pharaoh has declared that these children should be killed. And here this mother and father, um, by faith, hide him for three months. And, and I got to tell you, that's a, that's a remarkable faith. That's a remarkable drive to, to decide in the midst of that kind of danger and that kind of responsibility to say, I'm going to make a choice, which is what faith is. I'm going to believe God instead of everybody else. Isn't that awesome? And, and, and I, I think that this rises from the scripture for us. Here we see a moment where Moses' parents, by faith, see something in him that's special and hide him for three months. They choose to believe God. And then you see it again as they, as they make this ark and they float him down the aisle. And, and you see the faith of Moses' parents. We're going to choose to believe God. We're going to choose to trust in God. And, and I... I think that we can take this from the passage that in those moments where, where we are in misery, in those moments when we're in emergency, can I tell you that, that we can, even though we don't know, even though we don't understand, even though we're in the midst of the misery and the emotion or the emergent situation, even though we don't know what we can decide because this is who God reveals himself to be in scripture, what we can decide is that he knows. Amen? God knows. God's sovereign hand is at work in our lives, and he has great attention to detail. He's not a God that's afar off. He's not a God that just sent the world spinning and then took off and is watching things unfold. This is a God who is engaged in the detail of life because he has a plan from beginning to end, and that's to redeem a people for himself. Amen? Who would have known that the faith of Moses' parents to hide him and to keep him alive and to set him afloat in an ark was going to make the difference in your life and in your salvation as God begins to unfold his redemptive plan throughout history. Isn't that amazing? God knows what he's doing, not just in the context of Moses, and Abraham, 
and Isaac. And as we see this unfolded throughout Exodus, as as Moses becomes a type or a symbol of Jesus, the one who's gonna defeat the final enemy of sin and death, as Moses is used by God, beyond this moment as he's preserved as a baby, he's then used by God as a deliverer to take his people from bondage and for these people to become the people that Jesus comes from to defeat the final and the worst enemy and to deliver mankind from the bondage of sin and death. As God has such attention to detail from this little baby in an ark, he was thinking about you and your life and his ability to redeem you and save you in the context of this story. Isn't that amazing? God's in control. Even though you don't know, here's what you know. He knows. He's in control. And you can trust him. Amen? I gotta tell you, in my life, those, that, that, that revelation of who God is in scripture is so powerful to me because I can't tell you how many times I've been in that situation, I know you have too, where you are just, the rush of adrenaline emotion is happening. You're in an emergency, you're in misery, you're in difficulty, and you don't know which way to turn. But here's what you can know. He knows. He knows what's going on and he's unfolding his plan and you and me, we can trust him. What a great God, amen? So here we see this story of Moses, this truth of Moses being unfolded before us in Scripture, and we see the salvation of God. Even in the midst of this circumstance with a small baby, God protected Moses just like he protected Noah. The similarities between these examples in the Old Testament, of they're both deliverers and rescuers. They're both called by God. They both lead people to a new place where God's people are gonna take dominion and God's establishing his plan of redemption. And you see God do it in the story of Noah and you see him do it with Moses as he's placed in this ark. You see the importance of these women, just like we saw the faithfulness of the midwives to say no and to not kill the the male boys. We see these three women as God uses them. Miriam, Moses' sister, his mother, Jay, starts with a J, and you can read that later on in Exodus. And, And you see Pharaoh's daughter. You see Pharaoh's daughter. All three of them used by God to preserve God's deliverer of his people. You see the sister and her ingenuity. You see her cleverness. You see her faithfulness and her courage to follow the ark, to go up to Pharaoh's daughter, to suggest the midwife, to go get her mother. You see the mother who who rescued him and preserved him for, for the time that she did and then gets to continue to rear him and nurse him and raise him. And you see Pharaoh's daughter who who decides to have compassion on this Hebrew baby and take him in as her own. And, and, and you see these, these three women being used by God, just like you see the midwives, and he's preserving for himself, he's protecting his deliverer that he's going to use to redeem his people out of bondage from the Egyptians. What an amazing thing to see God's hand as we look back. And the people who would have been reading the book of Exodus would have already recognized these things. They would have recognize what had already happened as they finally get the opportunity to read the Pentateuch, to, to read this book as a part of the five books that were written by Moses. And they, have, they would already understand God's hand in this. As you look at verse one, you see Moses born from two people from the tribe of Levi who were yet 
in this book going to be declared the tribe that is set set aside and especially designed by God to be the spiritual and religious leaders of a people. And they would have been reading this book and looking back and seeing that Moses was a Levite and he was going to be, he was of the tribe that later on God had designed in particular and set aside to be the religious and spiritual leaders. And Moses was to be this deliverer, this this spiritual leader, this man that God uses to deliver his people. It is amazing the detail of how God orchestrates and designs his plan of redemption for us. Amen? I'm using my son's iPad, and I didn't shut off the auto sleep, you know? And I got to keep putting in his password to open this up so I can see what I'm talking about. I apologize. God turned, in this situation, difficult circumstances into hope and salvation. And you see Moses taken in. And then, as we look at this passage, it jumps. And this isn't unusual for this to happen in the context of Scripture, in the context of ancient writing, where they would talk about, where Moses would write about the significance of the birth of somebody who's going to be a significant human being, and then jump to probably the first significant thing they do as an adult. You see that with Jesus, and you see it with others. Luke, in fact, is the only gospel that references Jesus at 12 for one brief moment. But other than that, you see his birth, and then you see him as he comes back as an adult. And you see that again here in reference to the life of Moses. And so there's a description here of the life of Moses where you see the significance of his birth and God's protection and deliverance of Moses. And now you see him as an adult. And what do you see about him as an adult? I think this is amazing. Um, You see Moses and and obviously you have a man here being raised by an Egyptian princess who has all the, the benefits and all the things that go along with being a part of this superiority, um, this, this group who's superior in this kingdom, one of the most significant powers in the world. And he, here he is. He's, he gets all the benefits that go along with that. But at the same time, he has been raised for a significant amount of his life by his own Hebrew mother and he recognizes his people and who he is and where he comes from. And you can see in this passage Moses' concern for the oppression of his people to the degree that he gets angry. And so this moment that we jump in to the story of Moses, go to verse 13 and 14 with me. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together and he said to them, said to the man, oh, I'm sorry, can you do me a favor? Jump back up to verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When, Her- when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. What a remarkable, remarkable moment and what insight we get into Moses' mindset in his life. Must have been difficult for him. He, here, here he is being raised as an Egyptian understanding who he is as a Hebrew and seeing the oppression, not really belonging to either one. 
not really an Egyptian, not really a Hebrew, because he gets the benefit of being an Egyptian. And he goes out. And you, I, want, I want to point out a couple of things, because you see his anger. So he obviously has an affinity towards his people. He obviously looks upon the oppression and the struggle of his people, and it upsets him. And you see this moment where an Egyptian supervisor is beating a slave, a Hebrew slave, and you see Moses' anger rise up to such a degree that he murders him. He murders him. Either this moment where this Egyptian supervisor is, is beating this slave is so egregious that this very moment causes such a reaction in Moses, or it's been something that's been building in him for a while, and it's been bothering him for a while, and as he sees this injustice upon someone who is one of his, his people, and you see him three times reference his people, so he identifies with the Hebrews as being his people. He strikes him down and he kills him, murders him, hides him in the sand, because that's all there is, <laughs> is sand. And then he sees two Hebrews fighting with each other. And I think there's great insight here because as he looks to them and says, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys, why are you guys two people who, who are the same? Why are you fighting with each other? And the guy looks back at him and says, hey, buddy, who are you to talk to us? Who made you prince over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Think about this for a moment. They reject him as well. Here he kills an Egyptian who's oppressing a Hebrew because he's upset about the oppression of his people and he's upset about this particular moment and then he goes to his Hebrew brothers and they look at him and, and the one guy's like, hey, who are you? Think about it for a minute. They reject him as well. Say, who are you to talk to me like this? You're not one of us. Who made you prince over me? Are you gonna kill me like you killed the Egyptian? How must Moses felt how difficult a moment for Moses to recognize he's caught in between two worlds and his heart and his love for his people is there and, and even they reject him and you also see here some insight into what's going on Moses realizes uh-oh it's known I'm in trouble I murdered this dude and obviously people are talking about it this is the talk of the community. Here we have an Egyptian supervisor who's been murdered by a Hebrew. So Pharaoh's after it. There's an investigation. They're trying to figure out who would have killed this missing Egyptian. And, and it's the talk of the town that it's Moses. Moses is the one. And he recognizes that people know he's the one who killed this guy. And he knows that as soon as Pharaoh finds out he, who is really a Hebrew, killed an Egyptian supervisor, he's in trouble. Pharaoh's going to want to kill him. And that's exactly what happens here? Moses flees. He has, to, he has to run away. You know, we know now that Moses is going to do something remarkable. We know now that Moses is going to be this great deliverer, this great biblical hero, this incredible man of God. But in this moment, we have to recognize in the narrative, he has no clue What's going on? What incredible difficulty Moses is going through. What incredible turmoil he must be struggling with. Now he's got to flee his land and he's heading out to Midian and he's going to a place where he doesn't belong. He never really belonged in Egypt. He never really belonged with the Hebrews. And now he's going out, as you'll see, to be a sojourner in a foreign land as he names his own son. 
and, and you recognize the turmoil and the difficulty that Moses is going through, and he has no clue that God is going to use him to be the Moses who delivers his people from bondage in Egypt. He's going to be one of the greatest leaders in biblical world history, and he has no clue. Can I tell you that, that in the midst of your life, as you are walking through your struggle and your journey, as you submit yourself to Jesus, as you submit yourself to the Lord, can I tell you he's doing things in your life that you may not understand, that you may not know what's going on, but God has a plan and has an ability to use you to glorify himself despite you, amen? As I look back on my life, I can see, you know, the, the whole story, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And as I look back clearly on my life, I see God's hand in his orchestration and his sovereignty. And it is remarkable to, remarkable to me how much smarter God is than I am. I mean, I know the stuff that I come up with that I want to do, that I think I should do, that I want to go after. And, and as I submit myself to the Lord, sometimes he asks me to do things that don't make sense to me. But can I tell you that when God's in control of your life, when he's working, he's guaranteed, and he's going to anyway, do what he said he's going to do, and he's going to be glorified, amen? And your life gets to be a part of God's picture to glorify himself. Isn't that great news? That's good news. So in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle and misunderstanding, as you submit yourself to the Lord, you can trust that God's going to get his way and he's going to do his work and he's going to be glorified in your life as you submit to him. Amen? And so here's what's happening in the life of Moses. We see God's provision. We see God's great orchestration. What a perfect guy. I mean, God's setting this whole thing up. And really, this passage is just a setup. God is setting everything up for the deliverance of his people. And he has orchestrated the life of a man who was perfect to go to Pharaoh and declare God has spoken for you to let my people go. What a perfect man, raised in the house of Pharaoh by one of his daughters. But a Hebrew who longed to see the oppression of his people end. God is preparing and doing a work in his life. The other thing you see as we move on, Moses fleeing to Midian, and he runs into these shepherds that are messing with these seven women. And here he, does, here he goes again. Moses steps up, and he sees injustice, and he sees, not, and, and, and Moses, uh, this is what I love about this guy. He acts. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't ignore it. He steps up out of principle, not out of loyalty. He doesn't know these women. He steps up out of principle when he sees injustice and he acts and he runs off these shepherds and then does the work for these seven women in, in taking care of them at the well. What a remarkable man. What a perfect character trait in a leader and in one who God's going to use as a deliverer. He's not arrogant, and we see that later on. In fact, he has an incredible lack of confidence in himself. But when he sees injustice, you see Moses step up. He's got to be pretty darn tough, too. I mean, this dude, on his own, completely alone, runs off a bunch of shepherds and takes care of business for these women to the point that they take off, and he's able to water 
their, their horses. It's pretty remarkable who God is choosing and who God is setting up to be the deliverer to liberate God's people. Will you turn with me to Acts chapter 7, verse 23, if you have your Bibles with you? Because we see a picture here of faithfulness again. Acts chapter 7, verses 23 through 29. Here we see Stephen referencing this moment in his speech before he's stoned. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brother. I'm sorry, do I have the right passage? Yeah, 7, 23 through 29. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptians. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. You know, this is, this is an interesting insight in the book of Acts. As Stephen is looking upon people who are about to stone them, and he is giving a speech to explain to them, listen guys, you're missing it. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one who has come to set us free. Jesus is the one who has paid for our sin. He is the Messiah. He is the one we've been waiting for to deliver us from the ultimate enemy, sin and death and the bondage that comes with it and to set us free. And as Stephen is giving this speech to explain to these Jewish men who are about to stone him, you're missing it. He references Moses and says, just like they missed it with Moses, here was Moses. And think about this for a moment. This is the first time Moses tries to deliver his people, but he does it in his own hand, and he does it with his own wisdom. And he goes after this Egyptian and kills him for oppressing his brother. And obviously it's not God's timing, and it's not in God's wisdom, but Moses was first rising up in this moment, and you see the rejection of the other Hebrew who says, who are you to be judge over us? And Stephen references Moses, the deliverer, and he, he references him as a type or a symbol of who Jesus is. And if you're, in the way that the Hebrews were missing Moses in this moment, in the way that the Hebrew brother looked to Moses and said, who are you? Not recognizing in his own sight and in his own power who Moses was going to be in the same way they were missing who Jesus was. And I guess the scripture would call of us tonight to take a look at God's sovereignty in his hand and the deliverance of his people and say, don't miss it. Don't miss what God's doing, what God has done in sending Jesus, the deliverer, the ultimate deliverer for us. Amen? So here's Moses. He's out in Midian, and he sits down at this well. It's a new start. He sits down at the well, He's starting over. He's in a new land. It's a new beginning. 
and he sees this injustice. And he rises up. And he acts on principle. And he chased off the shepherds. He did the work of these seven women. And when they go back to their father and explain to them, because he was probably dressed and looked like one, hey, we ran into this Egyptian who helped us. The father says, bring him here. And he goes to him, and he stays with him, and he marries his daughter. Can I tell you in this moment, it's going to take God. It's going to take God to take this washed up criminal exile and turn him into the deliverer of his people. Amen? And can I tell you that when God does it, the only thing we can say is look in awe at him and say, yep, it was God who did that. And as you step out in faith in your life, as you follow God, as you submit your life to him, and you step out into those moments, as we see in the book of Exodus, where the Egyptians are on their back, and they got the river in front of them, and they have to step into the water to make something happen, and it finally parts and you begin to walk through, as you live your life like that and submit your life to God and get out on the edge of faith as you see the faithfulness of these women and you see the faithfulness of Moses and you see ultimately the faithfulness of God to redeem his people, as you live your life in such a way, with such a faith, you are gonna see God do things that only God can do, amen? God's going to back his play because that's what he's called you to do. And as he's called you to live a life in worship and on mission with him, he's going to do what he said he would do. Despite difficulty, despite emergencies, despite misery and tragedy, you're never, it's not that you're not going to go through those things. You're never going to go through them alone. And as you walk through them, you're going to see the hand of God in your life because he's in control, because he's sovereign, and because just like he orchestrated the salvation of mankind through history, ultimately in the greatest deliverer in Jesus Christ, he's orchestrating your life, and he's delivered you through Jesus. Amen? Isn't that great news? I don't know any other thing to gain from this passage other than this. God's in control. God is sovereign. God is at work. And he has delivered us from a little baby floating in a wooden box to Jesus on the cross, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death that we ultimately deserve to die, but don't have to because he did it for us and became the substitution for us. So we stand justified, declared innocent, and we get to be in the presence of God, free from sin and bondage, just like they got to be free from Egypt. Amen? And anybody that tells you Living a faithful life of worship to Jesus is bondage. Doesn't understand the difference between freedom and bondage. In our humanistic, in our postmodern way, it has become popular culture to believe that any type of restriction on your life, any type of fellowship, meaning anything that you follow or submit your life to is somehow bondage. And freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. How backwards is that? Jesus has delivered us and enabled us, just like God uses Moses, he's enabled us to live free. 
Can I tell you the quickest way to be bound up, addicted, messed up, and ripped off is to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. But if you want to live a life of freedom, if you want to walk in the life the way God designed it to be lived, and ultimately getting to be with him in his presence, then you have a deliverer in Jesus. And he's orchestrated it from the beginning of the world. And you don't have to do anything but recognize you can't save yourself. You need a deliverer. That's all you have to do. And as you do that, you will be delivered and have the opportunity to live free. Amen? The only thing that screws us up is believing you can save yourself. And that's the biggest lie of our age. Recognizing your need for a sovereign God who's in control and who's worked it all out. It's the quickest way to be delivered. It's the only way to be delivered. To live in the freedom that God has provided for you. And he's planned it from the beginning. He's orchestrated it from the beginning. And he continues to be in control. And his glory will fill the earth. And he will be worshipped and glorified. Amen? Isn't that great news? Moses is an incredible character because we can see an incredible God in the midst of his life, at work in his life. And can I tell you, that same God is at work in yours. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are so sovereign, you are so huge, you are so in control. Help us to no longer struggle for control. Help us to no longer fight and claw and struggle to make it work in our own effort and in our own strength. Give us the insight, the illumination, the spirit-led ability to just relinquish control, to just submit our lives to the sovereign God who's already done it all, Stop fighting and clawing to find purpose and meaning or satisfaction in life, but to recognize that the only way to be filled and satisfied is in you. You are the prize. You are who we get. And there's nothing greater. We open ourselves to you tonight and ask that you would speak to every heart in this place. Help us to recognize how great you are and submit to you in Jesus name everybody said Amen.